1: Hello everyone, my guest today needs little introduction, but here we go. In the last decade, they've earned a name as one of the most celebrated Sky and Ultra runners of our times and have just returned from a win at the challenging Ultra Trail Cape Town 100 mile race. Their energy, passion and success are undeniable. However, it is the manner in which their unstoppable spirit emerged from a life-changing near-death accident whilst inspiring thousands of others, including myself, that makes their accomplishments all the more impressive. They've been pretty adamant in their aversion to the idea of making a comeback. However, their resilience and dogged retention of single-minded belief is something that I think all of us who have metaphorically fallen and had to pick ourselves back up and put ourselves back together can learn from so before I keep blabbing on for ages I will now allow them to introduce themselves as they want to be introduced
2: Welcome to the podcast. Well, hi, yeah, I'm Hilary Allen and I can't really top that intro, so okay. I have nothing to add. I'm just excited to be here.
1: She's just Hilary Allen and she is excited. Wonderful. So I'm interested, but for, for anyone who's kind of been living under a rock in the UK and doesn't quite know as much about you as, as other kind of runners in, in the States and anywhere else in the world might. Um, what was growing up like for you if we wind it right back
2: yeah, so actually, my father—he's from the UK. Oh, okay, uh, he, Great. <laughs> yeah, he is. So I have a fond um, memory of the UK. I've visited there quite often, different parts of it. He actually grew up in the Isle of Skye, um, and then I have some family in like Taunton, Somerset area. So I do love the UK. Um, he got out of it because he didn't like the dreary weather of <laughs> of, of London when he was going to to. Um, to uni uh so he moved to the west um with this i think curiosity for um you know just what the united states like the vastness of it is and i think he carried that over into his parenting and encouragement in my childhood we basically my sister and i um We grew up in like a camper van in the summers. Like my dad's a university professor at Colorado Mm -hmm. State University. Um, He's retired now, but um, biochemist, um, physicist, chemist also. um, But he was really, he was a runner himself. He was really into the outdoors. And so Like he would take that as well as my mother, um, you know, basically outside on the trails. We, we camped every summer, every opportunity we could, I like to say that I grew up in the dirt, but I grew up for this appreciation (laughs) of the natural world, um, from a scientific perspective, like curiosity, but also just the physical world of, um, exploring things with your own two, two feet, um, you know, just kind of getting, getting dirty in the dirt. Um, I, it's no, it's no, um, strange to those that follow me that I love insects and, and bugs and things that are kind of like creepy crawlies for everyone else. But they really mm-hmm. fascinate me. And I think I got that from both of my parents, um, in particular, my dad, um, from the science, science realm of things. And then, um, yeah, I think it just carried on into so many other things. And ultimately, um, I get to use that in, in trail running too that's so cool because were you a
1: science teacher originally as well My right. yeah that? so
2: I have a master's degree in neuroscience and physiology I actually wanted to be a scientist and have been practicing science longer than I've been a runner <laughs> um, and uh, so I got my master's degree and um, initially in my the beginning of my ultra running career I was balancing teaching at a small college here in Boulder um, and and racing because I got mm-hmm. the summers off so um, now I've kind of transition to doing more run coaching, and it's awesome because I can use the science, um, my science knowledge for that. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm subbing on the side, um, but that kind of took a change with COVID when things were kind of online, and I I just refused to to um, teach a science class online because science is meant to, um, you're literally meant to get your hand dirty when you when you're studying science. So. <laughs>
1: that's amazing I'm assuming that you don't use the bug knowledge in your coaching or does that transfer as well
2: (laughs) um no actually I was doing this thing um it's I work with this group also becoming ultra and we coach um people to their first 50ks and a cool thing is I I picked this woman um to coach and she's uh she is really into birds and um she I was actually studying birds in in graduate school and so um yeah it, it was cool to kind of relate to that like she would like would ask you know like she would define a success of a long run based on how many birds she would she would see and I'd kind of like compare that with like insects so no it's not a coaching method <laughs> but I think it's like an encouragement to like pay attention to your surroundings and like the whole basis of trail running at least for me should be about enjoyment and I think uh, that's one way I can communicate it to those that I coach
1: yeah that's so cool so it was kind of like your um was your enjoyment of running when you got into it primarily through being able to explore outdoors
2: yeah and honestly when I first got into running it was I needed I was in graduate school and I was working so much I was working you know 60 to 70 hours a week in the lab I needed some time to myself and I was a tennis player in college and that was getting more and more hard it was getting harder to do um in graduate school from a time perspective and a money perspective. And so I didn't really have much of either. And so, um, running was very efficient and, um, yeah, it was a way for me to just kind of be free and, um, to like, kind of just have some time. And, um, there's, I mean, there's, you know, science behind like a runner's high and, um, like I was, it was cool for me to experience it while studying neuroscience. Um, so it was a way for me to kind of be curious, and um, like in almost like the physical realm, like um, my own physical limits. Um, and the more I did it, the more interested I, I came in it. And then the more I took it to the trails, I, I it was a way for me to even like experience science and, and like the real world. Um, And like nature. So yeah, it was kind of a perfect combination. And I just really appreciated running for what it was too, that I could see results based off of my hard work and and dedication to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was something I just purely and I still like really enjoy. So yeah, it was kind of kind of both of those things.
1: Interesting. So the kind of the, the, because there's obviously there's running and then there's endurance running. And what I'm hearing is kind of the endurance aspect kind of came in almost by treating yourself as a kind of an interesting experiment in a way. (laughs)
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... Trail running, I never thought of it, I I never knew knew it was a sport until, I I didn't know that people could run on trails, like I knew people ran marathons, and I kind of discovered trail running by accident, just coming, just being in grad school here in Colorado, and I would use like my Sunday recovery runs on the trails, and then I would like meet more people, and they're running, I learned about this like, you know, trail running world, and then ultra running, and I kind of had a knack for endurance anyways, and then it just kind of, Um, it took its own beautiful science experiment, as you would say, because um, I was then curious about how far I could go. I was curious, you know, where these trails would lead, like how much elevation gain I could do. Um, And it just, it started with that. And then I got curious about ultra running and then like sky running. And uh, I just kind of The snowballed from there
1: (laughs) the only way was up basically wasn't it
2: (laughs) yeah pretty much pretty much and then you know I learned of course if you have to go up then you have to get pretty good at going downhill too
1: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, the dance the the tricky part quite often yeah and when did you realize that you were sort of pretty good at this
2: (laughs) um You know, I was actually pretty hesitant to get into my first trail race. I did running in, um, like, I started, I did my first road marathon in 2012, and I did my first trail ultra marathon in 2013, but it wasn't until 2014 that I really started doing it more competitively, Mm -hmm. and that was just because I was a bit hesitant. I didn't want it to get ruined, kind of almost like tennis did for me in college. I got a little bit burnt out by it, and I wanted to really guard that, um, that love of something. I didn't want that to be kind of tainted by expectation or, um, cause I can be pretty hard on myself. Um, and so I think pretty quickly, once I started racing in 2014, I realized I was pretty good at it because that first season actually won the U.S. Sky Running Series, but I really tried to surround myself with people that had this common love for trail running, and it was less so about the competition. Um, How I balanced it was I wanted to do races, which I was curious about. I mean, like I mentioned, growing up, I camped all around the United States. I've been to almost all the 50 states. Um lots of national parks. And, um, but like, this is as a kid. And so then to like, it was really cool for me to then pick a race where I had been maybe like years earlier Mm -hmm. and then run around this place and re-experience it as an adult. And for me, that kept it interesting and that kept it, um, just fun. And again, like that curiosity piece, um, sure. I was challenging myself. I wanted to do well. I wanted to, um, you know, test my own limits pretty much is I think the basis behind running an ultra marathon. It's very personal and the competition part can then become secondary. And then upon doing them, I learned that I had a pretty good, uh, I, 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 yeah, I have some talent right for it, (laughs) but I do think that that talent came from just genuine love of the hard work to get to that start line and being prepared physically to, to run 30 miles or, you know, 50 K or 80 K.
1: And I love it that that attitude kind of really personalised it for you as well, yeah. and and kind of being led by what you intuitively wanted to do, rather than yeah. I think it, you can kind of get into this and you realise that you're proficient, and and then just kind of just want to sort of tick box all the kind of the races that other people are doing. And it sounds like you really kind of trod your trod your own path kind of from the beginning, which is really really brave and really genuine I think as well and um probably why you're great at it as well
2: (laughs) but I think I think there's a balance too I mean I don't want to say that like especially to be um an elite runner like there is a, a certain amount of training right there is like some certain days is like the amount that I train it's like there's sometimes it's like well you know, you're doing it for like a competition side of it, right? Like there are some times, um, like, maybe I don't want to do as much or certain times in the year, where I'm certainly doing less. But right, I think, for me, um, there's a reality that you still have to, to, to work very hard and maybe do things not just for the joy of it. But still, for me, the root in it all is, is that genuine just love of trying to be the best version of myself and like kind of trying to find my limits Mm -hmm. and while also coupling it with exploring cool places and I mean
1: at the time you were also you were stacking up all the hours also in the labs and working and stuff And so how did you balance what was then becoming more and more training and something that you were good at and loved but then all the other stuff that was adding to your bucket from <laughs> other areas Yeah,
2: and honestly it's still I mean right it hasn't it hasn't uh, changed that much now I mean not maybe now I'm not doing it like a just uh, one other job like the in the lab but I'm doing you know three four other things and um <laughs> like in just a very you know But I, I like that I thrive on being um, busy and um challenging myself in different ways and staying engaged um but it is kind of like a balancing act and like (laughs) with my time. But so how, how I did it is pretty much, I wouldn't recommend this, but I did (laughs) sacrifice sleep when I was in graduate school and a social life because pretty much, you know, my social life was kind of in graduate school. I'd see my friends there. We would, you know, um, there's kind of like restaurants on, on campus. We could kind of go there for, for food or um, like little breaks here and there. But I really, I mean, my life was just uh, getting up early, like running in the morning and going to lab studying. Um, it was like pretty simple. Um, but what I what I do now, so yeah, maybe it's like a few other different things like coaching, racing, um, training, but the podcast that I also host, <laughs> um, you know, writing a book, like all of these different things that I truly love to do, but they require a lot of time. And what I try to say, to myself now is, is instead of viewing it as a sacrifice of like giving up certain things, um, I try to view it as a prioritizing of time. And so certain times of the year, like if I'm training for a big race, training might take priority over something else. Um, mm-hmm. or like, you know, going out late with friends, but then during an off season, I'm prioritizing that downtime more than training um and then you know you kind of take that through the tiers of the different tasks i have to do kind of even on a daily basis um sometimes um coaching um is uh, like a, a lot of times that's number one priority like right? taking care of the clients that i'm coaching um but you know sometimes that can be um busier than than other days of the week or even any times of year so that's kind of how how i do it and i think it's like advice that i would give to people if um you know they're trying to prioritize certain things or balance a lot of things with family and and goals personal goals that they have um yeah I think it all all, because everyone is balancing a lot it's not just like it's not a unique experience that I've had (laughs) yeah no thank you for that
1: Hilary I'm sure that's actually that's really helpful for anyone no matter whether they're they're a runner or or not just just as a as a kind of life (laughs) life help as well so thanks for thanks for sharing that and when did you so you kind of specialized in 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 quotes like um in sky running um and that's a kind of like that's a sort of niche of a niche in terms of <laughs> in terms of the running world so what kind of attracted you to to that and um and why did you kind of like stick with that for a while yeah,
2: so I would like to i, I did really discover it by accident I think it was just because I had this natural knack for 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 uphill and definitely steep terrain mm-hmm. and those were some of the races like people told me in the trail running community like my first and my first season in 2014 they're like oh you should try this race I think you would really like it and it was this like the speed go 50k and it was like it's notoriously just like straight uphill it's got some altitude I like running to high altitude um for like it starts at like 7,000 feet so you're already like kind of feeling it you go up to like over 11.5. Um, and then um, I did that race and I loved it. And then I did like other races that kind of fit this sky running series just because I really like that style of running where you were mixing skillful running like over technical terrain with like power hiking and running uphill so it wasn't just all about like fitness because mm-hmm. um, I don't have a running background um, and so then the more I did that then winning the U.S. Skyrunning series kind of launched me onto the European scene and then I just discovered it's like cue the Disney music for those U.S. listeners <laughs> like a whole new world of like thrill running in Europe which is just insane I mean I'm sure like everyone from the UK it's like you know they want to go to like i don't know there's it's like now a direct flight to Madeira island and you can just like run on these incredible trails or even like to chamonix in the alps like it's insane i mean once you once you experience this it's like it's just this playground that you just you know you you constantly want to play in and so um from there like all of these races in europe that i was super drawn to were of that sky running style mm-hmm. so it's basically steep terrain direct routes to an ascent um and descents um, and then i've kind of taken that same style um now later in my career um towards even longer distance trail races um for like you know 100k 100 mile races
1: yeah which you've just which I'll come on to that you've just started getting <laughs> getting into I love that analogy yeah. for the Disney music <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> seriously it is
2: right. I like Thank I literally just, yeah that moment that I like walked off the plane and like experienced the Alps and ran like the Mont Blanc 90k it was just like I was just like just like like wide-eyed and like just yeah <laughs> I love like a lot of magic carpet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> seriously like the Alps are my Aladdin, I guess. <laughs> and what is um
1: what is your relationship with danger, would you say? Because mm. I mean Sky Sky Running is notoriously, you know, the the one where you might fall and break something <laughs> quite seriously. And we'll kind of come right. on the accident. But um but what was your relationship with danger then? And and what is it in general, would you say?
2: So this is a great question. It's something I've thought about a lot. Um and those who know me, I am, I'm not like, I am risk averse, I would say. Like, I'm very, I mean, heck, I'm a, I'm a chemist. Like, I like formulas. I like math. I like right and wrong answers. I, I'm maybe a square. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Like, I- I do. I like order. I'm a very organized person. I don't like to take unnecessary risks. And, um, that's also partially why I loved running because you could see this kind of like stepwise progress of like you putting work into an equation and seeing it back. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing sky running, I, I've never been someone who's very, um, like reckless, I would say, with with running. Even like I, I would see running sky running. It, it is can be, you know, it's dangerous going into the mountains. There's not a zero risk involved in any intro running, even, you know, as soon as you step out your door and you're and you're running on a towpath, right? Like risk is never at zero. It might approach it. But the reasons why you can like how you can approach more of a zero risk is you can be very skillful and very fit. And I mm-hmm. think fitness can be this, um, in my opinion I think fitness can be a bit of a um of a cloak that people wear that they think it protects them but it really doesn't. I think what a more appropriate way to protect you from um danger and risk is to be very skillful and that was something that I practiced. I all of the terrain that I was training on in Colorado, a lot of it like these long days in the mountains were on technical exposed terrain and I was learning and developing a skill set to be comfortable with those. So And even during races, like, for me, I was, I, of course, I could run fast downhill, but I wasn't just being completely reckless. And, like, I knew my strength was on the uphill, and if I could establish a gap and just, like, maintain on the downhill, then I would be okay, because I would never want to put myself in a condition to, like, just, like, like tear it up on, on a downhill. Like I, like those European runners still, I'm very, very impressed with like specifically those like French and Italian runners who can just rip it downhill. And like, you know, they're, they are, I don't like, they have no fear. Like I definitely have fear. So I mean, I think I know where like this is leading, but that might like set it up. <laughs>
1: Trick of warning, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Um, Adam Mary was discussing this um, on a on a prior podcast because I was commenting on sort of maybe the differences between American and European race, and he was like. No, those Europeans can go down the hills really super fast. I don't know what they <laughs> yeah. eat for breakfast. But like <laughs> So yeah, I guess um, that does bring us on to maybe talking about your fall. And I don't want to dwell on it too much because I know that you talk about it in your book. And also, mm-hmm. I'm keen that we're not kind of de- defining you just by that. But I think it, it, it does obviously feed a lot into your story. So just for kind of like the context for listeners, you were ranked... Number one in the Sky Running World series, and then you fell 150 foot from an exposed ridgeline at Tromso Sky Race in Norway. Can you just describe, like, in your own words, kind of like what led up to that accident and what you kind of remember of that time?
2: Yeah, so and I appreciate it. I mean, it's like I know. I think many of us have, and I use it in the intro, like this um, metaphorical fall, right? Like there's many instances in our lives that we are different from this moment forward, right? There's a changing point in our lives, and while I don't want to be defined by an this accident. I would like to be defined how, you know, my, my strengths and my persistence and my reaction to said accident. Right. I think that's far more important, but we all have these moments in life, which we are different after. And sometimes it can be negative. Sometimes it could be positive, right? Like a, a move, um, having a baby, getting married, right? Like for me, it was this accident that was life changing. Um, and it's still something that I think of like, you know, before it's almost like, you know, in in history, it's like BC and AD. Um, (laughs) I think about that. Um, uh, so I like before my accident, so BA, (laughs) um, you know, I was different than I am now. Right. But instead of like viewing difference as, um, like this horrible thing, I think of it as this like kind of beautiful growth, right? Like, um, I discovered so many things about myself but this accident is something I mean I still remember I still have this dream vividly and the best that I can remember is the recollection that day is Trumso was this um notoriously technical race it's an, um um two big climbs in the race, um well actually three big climbs over two mountains that you do in this race. And you one of the halfway points of the halfway point of this race is um Humper Rock and Ridge and it's this granite, exposed um third class, maybe fourth, um, fourth at the very top. Um, but terrain that I was very comfortable on. Like I've practiced this type of of run. I was not scared. I wasn't like hesitant, like it's not something that, um, I was surprised at the terrain that I was running on. Um, but like I said, at each point, uh, whenever you go out trail running, there's, the risk is not zero. It's still there. And for me, um, I mean, matter of factly, I mean, if you think it's statistics, like sometimes it's going to happen. And for me, it would like the, that, that was the day. And I remember stepping on this rock, um, and, other moments, I've fallen on a trail before. You have this moment of like, oh crap, and then you can brace yourself, and then mm-hmm. you realize that you're gonna you're gonna fall. Um, but this was different. It was just so immediate that one moment I was running, and the next I was just kind of flying through the air, and the world was slowing down in slow motion. And I knew that I was falling, and I um, remember telling myself to stay calm that it would all be over soon. Um, but in the same time, I had this, like, fighting mentality of, like, every time I hit the ground, I didn't feel pain, but I, I was, like, kind of protecting myself, but, like, trying to slow my momentum. Um, and then I, I have, like, memories of kind of the rescue operation of seeing familiar faces that I, that I knew in the Trowman and community. Um, and the the main thing that I, that I remember, aside from, like, the pulses of pain was, was this look of fear in, in these people's eyes, and, like the whole time I was thinking that I was dying, and from how the pain that I was experiencing, but also just the look of terror in these people you know and, and it was something it was a a look that I had never seen before, and you know then being in the hospital and kind of um it was just all of all a of blur, like all of the like the surgeries and kind of the um it was like two days, maybe two and a half days before I came to kind of like realized that like what had happened, had it actually happened to me. Um, and you know, that I was incredibly lucky to be alive. Um, but that my future as a runner was pretty unsure at that point. I was, that wasn't the, I know I write about this in my book and I've told this, you know, very publicly, um, many times is that I was told that I would never run again, but this wasn't just by one person. This was by multiple people. Um, and that was just because of like the nature of my injuries and that, like how many I had had and specifically to a few, to one in particular in my, in my foot. Um, and Yeah. I just remember it was one of the lowest points I had been just because not from like loss of, of running, but just loss of identity because I had so much of myself tied up into that one thing. And my self-confidence was tied up into my independence and, um, you know, how I could just take care of myself. And, you know, at that point I was like living by myself in Europe and just traveling from race to race. Like, um, I didn't really have much of a community other than the you know, the immediate trail community, like when we'd meet up when we were racing each other. Um, I mean, they're amazing people, but you know, it's like a very fleeting community. Um, so I just felt very alone and just very lost. Um, and regard, like regardless of all that, like I had never broken a bone before. So what was I supposed to do? Um, so yeah, it was, um, it's a pretty defining moment for me as a, as a person, let alone as an athlete.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that Hillary. like it, I mean me just sat here just kind of wants to go back to that moment and just give you such a big hug and so much love because I think that mm-hmm. sort of that sense of feeling alone it must just have been overwhelming in so many ways and mm-hmm. like also you, you you just spoke then about the kind of uh, riding a lot of feelings because I guess know you can kind of look back and think oh well I'm so grateful for being alive or maybe people expect me to be really grateful for being alive um but I've lost so much as well (laughs) how did you ride through that and kind of deal with that conflict as well
2: that's a I mean it's a really good question because I think that was one of the main turning points of my recovery um and I mean, that feeling of being alone, it persisted for over a year. And sometimes, I mean, this is like five and a half years now. And sometimes I still feel it. Um, but what allowed me to navigate through it was really discovering people who I could be incredibly honest with. And that's maybe one of my flaws, is that, one of my many flaws, is that <laughs> I... I am honest to a fault where I will say something and I'll end up like hurting someone's feelings. So I'm just like, well, I'm telling you this cause I care about you. Like, if you want me to lie, like, well then I'm not helping you. Um, but, uh, so people who know me know, know that about me, but like, I don't let many people see that actual, that actual part of me. Um, and it's really hard, especially when you just mentioned, like there were moments where I didn't, I had wished the accident would have killed me and, Like that sounds so awful. I was never at a point where I wanted to do anything about it, right? Like those are—that's pretty serious. But I Mm -hmm. felt that so real because every day was just such a struggle, and it was—I didn't know who I was. I was so far away from what I wanted to be or who I was that I just felt so lost and alone that that fight of survival every day seemed so much harder than it would have been if, like you know, I hadn't survived Mm -hmm. and. Being able to express that to people is difficult, and not for me, but for them to hear it. Mm-hmm. And one person in particular who I was able to say this to was my mother, and she was able to like hear that and not try to change it, not try to belittle what I was feeling. So you're just able to listen to it and to say, "Okay, yeah, like this has got to be, you know, really tough." I'm so glad that you didn't die and I'm here to support you and like through this hard moment so like let's do this together and my mother was one of those people um many friends um well I say many friends I've I have like a lot of acquaintances but my core group of people I really discovered my core group of people from this 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 accident um because it was those people who I could say these real things to and they were strong enough to you know, let me lean on them and hold me up for a little bit while I was kind of working my way through this and rediscovering my strengths. Um, so that was really one of the biggest, biggest things that helped me get through that and to kind of struggle through all of those low moments, um, through the highs and lows of recovery. Um, yeah that's
1: amazing and I mean what great parenting from your mom as well I mean like I'm I'm a teacher and I <laughs> the amount that I just kind of want to say so many times to parents all you need to do is hold space and like and allow <laughs> allow your kids <laughs> obviously you're a young woman at that point like but to, to have those feelings um and it sounds like you you really well you allowed people to hold them for you as well which which takes bravery on your your part too i think allowing yourself to be to be vulnerable and acknowledge those feelings with people that's a really big thing and i'm interested as was the um was the writing process a way of doing that as well in terms of kind of holding your a space for yourself
2: Yeah. So that was also another big piece. Um, writing I think is a, is a thing that I love. I joke that like, you know, any, I have, I have a journal that I constantly like write down thoughts and ideas and just like, just like random things. If I'm dealing with something, I need to get it out on paper or out of my head. I joke that like, you know, I have such bad handwriting that no one could read it anyways. (laughs) It doesn't matter what I write, but like writing has this amazing thing where, um, I mean, I think it's really important just to, to write down emotions because if, for me, if things get too big and built up in my head, they could become bigger than they actually are. So writing it and slowing down my thoughts so I could actually have time to write it and then seeing it on paper, it helps me bring a little bit of order to things. So this is something I did, you know, you know, on the daily, um, and also like writing mantras to kind of help me get through Mm -hmm. these low points. That was something that was really important. Um, And I kind of had to do a little bit of like the fake it till you make it (laughs) because some days it seemed impossible. Like an early mantra that I have is, and I I still have is that believe that your best athletic days are ahead of you and like this power of belief. And at first it started as just kind of like, believe, like, you know, you can get through this. And then it kind of manifested into this, like that I was, could return to do this again. And that I still had big things that I could do, um, but some days I felt like a total lie, you know, when I was just like scooting away in my scooter and mm-hmm. only able to do like PT exercises by plopping myself on the floor and doing like leg lifts, like, you know, like, what? But um I think even just writing that and saying it to myself, um, and it was just, it's the pot, like, the, the amount of um, the benefits of positive thinking, Um I really underestimated it until I started um, writing these things down and you know saying them saying them to myself
1: and because I mean you went from something that limited you and impacted every single aspect of your life I mean Mm -hmm. like in the book you write about the you know the specifics of of, and the extent of your injuries and things but this this was absolutely devastating and life-changing in every single way and I mean when once you go from, from that to actually believing in that mantra that you'd written down.
2: You know, I think it's a slow process, but I think, like I said, it's like faking it till you make it. It's something that can generate momentum and, and positivity. So that like, for, for me, I'm a scientist, right? Like I need physical proof. Yeah. Um, and so um that like even the, the mantras were a way for me to show up for myself every day and do PT. And then when I would see progress in PT, I would do more self-belief and like more positive mantras. Mm-hmm. So I think that this just has a very powerful way of building on it on itself. And for me, it was developing momentum to keep on showing up and then saying, okay, well, I did this yesterday or did this last week, but okay, so now maybe I'm ready to try this right, and bounced off my PT or my coach. And then like, we try it together. And then we could see, see the progress. I think that's, that's how it became almost a physical manifestation.
1: Yeah. So the kind of dedication that you put into your your BA <laughs> before accident training <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she's a messiah sorry this is a really super serious point of the conversation just completely yeah, rude it's okay. it's but, um, okay. but then that got channeled into your um into your PT and then self-perpetuating those um those mantras that's mm-hmm. and yeah I think I mean I know that you're a massive advocate for the kind of you know, the the mind-body connection and, well, treating ourselves with respect and in a holistic manner. And do you think that's kind of also where that has grown from, that process?
2: Yeah, and I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but, I mean, I'm, I'm... Even though I've had this incredibly hard thing happen and I've had subsequent injuries... I've had to repractice um, all of these things that I thought I had mastered, right? You'd think that I'd be like the master of recovery and whatever being Zen, and I'm definitely not. Um, I have to practice this all the time. And for my most recent race at UTCT, I think that's li- literally what I could say allowed me to have such a strong performance was mm-hmm. practicing these mantras. And when those tough moments and those really low moments happen, having this skill set and this practice of positive mental thinking to, to, to rely upon and really believing and knowing that it can help get me through low moments. Right. And this is something that I recommitted myself to after a very tough performance at UTMB, where I let my mind take me into a dark spiral and, you know, like, like and I wallowed in self-doubt and pity and um you know believing that like I was not good enough or that you know I was like, blaming my race on other on other things or just being just really engaging in those negative thoughts, right? It took me a long time to crawl out of that. Um at UTMB, right. And it started with these like positive little um, you know, nuggets of of of, of mantras that I was, it was started to kind of repeat to myself late in the race. Um, but you know, then I recommitted myself to to that um during my this training cycle for UTCT and I was able to kind of practice it and see in real time really how much impact it can have on just a person, let alone an athlete or a performance.
1: Yeah, I mean we can jump to that because I think I am really interested in in UTMB because that was your that was your jump up to to the 100-mile mm-hmm. distance, right, this year. And I mean as you said it, it was far from easy, but I was really interested in something that you wrote in your blog, which if you don't mind I'll, I'll quote cuz I noted it down, which was I had a thought you don't need to prove to anyone how tough you are, Hillary you decide what this race means to you, you decide if you want to finish it. And I think that kind of relates quite beautifully to the beginning of this conversation where yeah. you were saying about kind of choosing your own direction and how you were going to do things. Um And... Mm-hmm. Um, Can you just like briefly reflect on that realization in UTMB? Because I know, you know, it didn't go to plan for you and it was difficult, um, but you decided you were going to finish still. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And quite a lot of people would have thrown in the towel at that point and just been like, well, this isn't going how I wanted it. And actually so many things have gone wrong that I can just say that it was that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there we go. But you carried on. And what what was that decision about?
2: Yeah, so yeah writing so writing is still a tool that I use because uh, <laughs> I still have a blog that i that i write um uh I love your blog at, like,
1: it's pretty, pretty regularly
2: and, um so a couple things. First, first, UTMB, yes, it was my first 100 miler, but I had done, you know, TDS before, which is like 90, what is it, 150K, 145K, somewhere in there. So super long races, like a lot of the sky running races that I've done had primed me for this. And I think the 100 mile distance is something that I had been wanting to do for a long time, yet my injuries and subsequent injuries from my, that my accident had prevented me from doing it in a way that I felt comfortable. Um, yeah. And so I was super ready physically to do UTMB. And, um, but again, you know, you can't always control what happens. Um, it was a big change for me the previous year. So last summer, um, last year, in fact, I had broken my foot Mm -hmm. And, um, I did, I was on the start line of UTMB super fit, but then I had stepped on a rock, some barbed wire went through my shoe and I thought I had like rebroken my foot again. And so I, I dropped out and, um, I, it was very hard mentally to kind of go back to that. I had changed sponsors, um, to, to Brooks, um, kind of in that whole thing because of, um, the North face, the shoes basically weren't working for me. Um, And so it it forced me to make a hard decision and and, and a pivot to a company that I'm incredibly happy working towards working with, but it's a blow to your confidence as an athlete, because you almost feel like you have something to prove. And I'm someone Mm -hmm. who's very loyal and I didn't necessarily want to switch, but um, you know, you try to make lemons out of lemonades and it's something looking back, it's like, was a necessary change, but there's a lot of things happening in my mind And um, let alone like, you know, going into competition, which is like very normal for, for most people in general going into like these hard races. But in 100 mile races, like if and these long races, if something starts to go. Um, wrong or there's doubt, it can manifest into something bigger. And like I said, I, I, um, I think UTMB is a, ve- is a race that makes it very easy for elite runners in particular to drop out, especially mm-hmm. if things aren't going well, because it's such a deep field it's, is ruthless. There's, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of fanfare. There's a lot of media coverage. So if your favorite runner isn't doing it as you predicted, it's kind of like, you know, you're watching popcorn and you're going to see which one is like, you know, which, which piece of popcorn is going to burn first. And, um, <laughs> it felt very, yeah, it, it, I just, I felt that pressure in a very real way. And I think I was letting that get to me as opposed to like, Why did I want to run UTMB? And I think I had forgotten why I wanted to. It was a place that meant so much to me. I used to, I mean, I've raced in in France. It was the place where I first discovered, again, this like whole new world of trail running. Um, I'd been going to places at UTMB and races for years. I lived in France, like it was almost like a homecoming, these mountains, they were it was a course that inspires me. And I think in those beginning hours, when things weren't going well, when I was having stomach issues, and I had to kind of, you know, make a new plan, um, I had forgotten those those reasons of why I wanted to do this in the first place. Mm. And I had forgotten almost that joy. And so that quote that you said, like I don't have to prove how tough I am to anyone. This is my race, regardless of if I'm an elite runner or, you know, why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? And I knew that I wanted to finish and I wanted to see, um, you know, what I was made of in a way. And um, yeah, that's what led me to kind of keep ticking away. And the coolest thing was, is that I was able to experience this like death that can happen. It's like death and rebirth in an ultra. I was able to experience <laughs> that firsthand. Like <laughs> um and it was a really cool experience and it's something that I can kind of um learn from. I I definitely believe that your hardest race races are where you learn the most from mm-hmm. and it's worthwhile to finish those just as as much as as it is for the ones that um you know you win or you have great performances.
1: I think that that's you can take so much from that and I, you obviously did learn so much from that and as you say it kind of rose rose from the rose from the ashes in like in an in incredible way because then you went into <laughs> into Cape Town and completely raised it so like what were your <laughs> what were your kind of goals and expectations going into that coming off the back of UTMB did did your experience there kind of change how you were feeling about Cape Town and how you felt lining up? had that not you know have everything gone well we don't know with hindsight but like if everything had gone right. peachy at UTMB it might have been slightly different going into Cape Town but you were coming off the back of that um and right. I'm interested to know how you approached it
2: yeah so um I had this discussion with my coach after UTMB I like my confidence was I mean, I finished, I was super proud of it. But like emotionally, I went to the well, I was just empty. I had no desire to suffer. I did not know if I wanted to race again. And I remember my coach asked, telling me like two weeks after he's like, so Hill, we should think about a race that you want to do like one more of the season. And I was like, Adam, I need, I need a couple weeks. I need a few. I, I, I can't even think about it because I know going into, you know, a hundred mile race that there's a very high chance that you're going to suffer and that's just a reality and I didn't know if I wanted to do that because there might be a chance right you have a great race but there's also a chance it could be like a race like UTMB and you know so did I want to do that and so we discussed it and I think for me because this is a distance that I really wanted to do I felt fine physically um like after after UTM after UTMB I came home to Colorado and in September October it's like beautiful here and I was able to do some really great training up in the mountains in the fall which is like my favorite time of year here and um we started talking about so we my coach and I started talking about practicing the 100 mile distance and that it was important you know there's no other way to practice what mile 80 feels like than if you're there mm-hmm. <laughs> um or practice running through the night or practice running with competition and so we had this goal of doing a 100 miler um for me to practice to practice the 100 mile distance and that sounds crazy but it's true yeah. um I'm uh there was actually an article um on free uh, free trail that Corinne Malcolm just put out about like this like practicing hundred milers, like um kind of about my race and like cause we had kind of talked about uh, talked about um that and that was that was why I was doing this. Um and kind of that was a risk that I was willing to take. So that it, going into UTCT is that the whole goal of it was to practice racing a hundred mile race. So just doing it, yes, but also racing it. Mm-hmm. And so that also came with risks. And then I told myself and my crew that if shit hits the fan, sorry, if if it hits the fan, then um, – I'm still going to finish because I need to practice it. Like I want to have more time practicing, you know, what it's like to, to work through hard moments. And so that's kind of what I was doing. And again, like with my recommitment to practicing a mental mindset that was more helpful than hurtful. Like it's more helpful to have positivity going into hard moments and being okay. Like this, this is uncomfortable. This is the part of the race where I'm hurting. Um, But like, I'm curious when this is going to end or like, you know, I'm curious if I can still keep moving well, even if I'm feeling like crap, maybe I need to eat a gel like things like this, you know, um, that I would that I'd practice um, during during these um, nearly 25 hours of racing. Um, yeah, and I think I don't know. I mean, I think that that was the mentality of me going into it, knowing that there was a risk and a chance that it was going to turn out to be like a similar effort or similar scenario like UTMB. But that I was practicing. This is my chance to practice it, practice. Um, the race day nutrition for a 5.00 PM start during my training block, I was practicing more night runs. Um, again, that like mental piece of like mantras, um, you know, during hard training runs, like what I was going to tell myself when I wasn't feeling so good. Um, yeah, all, all of that stuff.
1: Um, but that was really
2: my, my goal for this race.
1: That's a really humble attitude to have as well. And kind of, you know. Paying the distance respect as well, and and realizing that kind of running, running any distance, but running that distance is a craft, um, and learning that craft. Um, I think that that's a really, actually, very rational way of going going about <laughs> it, and it, it it kind of puts me in mind of sort of you know Jim Walmsley sort of gone over and is kind of learning the craft of the UTMB course. I mean, it's sort of like the the best kept secret of like you know that's his goal to to do it but it is again paying respect to to the distance and to the course as well to to do it and I'm also kind of interested in I know that one of the one of the wonderful things that you got really very proficient at after your injury and the um (laughs) AA <laughs> after accident period not in the AA <laughs> um, uh, but you really got into gravel biking um, um competitively as well but it, it kind of obviously you sort of changed your training as well and when you now line up on start lines particularly like at these kind of hundred mile distances that you know, were were different. Like, did you find there were any kind of like little voices in your head kind of doing a little bit of a comparison with other other people who were kind of tra- still training high mileage and like doing all of that and you were kind of, you know, building a lot of bike miles and things and, and, and had changed and were this kind of like post-accident Hillary. I imagine that was really difficult despite all the mantras and the kind of self-talk in terms of, you know, Really trusting in yourself and and trusting in your body as well, like the post accident body. What was that kind of narrative like?
2: Yeah, and this is something that I mean, I still think about, right? And it can can it can cause some sort of doubt sometimes too, because if I look on a start line and I look to my right and I look to my left, uh I know I'm not training like most, the, the, like the majority of the people who are on this elite start line is me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can give me insecurities, but it also gives me confidence. I mean, I also know that like no one's high, not and and no one trains the exact same. But right, I'm not a person that can train high mileage like day in day out. And I've kind of worked with my coach and found this balance of something that, again, for me, is rooted in so much joy. The more like gravel biking has been such a saving grace for me because I look forward to the days where I get to run long. But I look forward to the days that I get to spend on my bike mm. and explore at a different pace. Um, you know, it's a, just a different place. It's it's so much fun. And then my favorite of all time is to like ride my bike to a trailhead, do a long run, and then ride my bike back. Um, it's this thing that I just truly enjoy, and it's a really good balance that I've discovered. Um. And it's a really cool way to like, to build an endurance. I think more runners should try cycling because it's less pounding. I mean, like for a, a certain example for my training, I do a run workout maybe on one day and then the long run the next day followed by a long bike ride. Like that could be, you know, I could go for a six hour run and then do uh, like a, a long five hour ride the next day. During my race season this year, I did San Juan Solstice 50 mile race in the mountains in Colorado Ran ten hours, just under, and then did a bike gravel bike race the next day. Five and a half hours in the saddle on on legs that had just run fifty miles. Like that's pretty good training stimulus. So, you know, bring me your your questions or um or comments or critiques, and I would be I would happily discuss them. But I think it's like such a good benefit. <laughs> Um, But again, for me, it's something that I just truly enjoy. And for me, I really, I'm not someone who likes to do the same thing all the time even with races I like to try new things like to try new distances different um styles of ra- of racing like that's why I like technical because it's a way to concentrate um I get a little bit bored just running <laughs> um and the cycling is a way for me to switch it up and it's a really cool way I mean I'm a huge science nerd I mean I like read papers about polarized training and um a big one that influenced my training this year was reading about um Niels Vanderpool a 10k speed skater who is considered a distance um speed skater where his event is i think less than 10 minutes but Mm -hmm. he would go on these like long six hour bike rides and like you know as a part of his training and you know if so it works it's like you know kind of putting that into into um into into uh practice but also i think for me it's also being curious and being like that scientist and wanting to kind of experiment with it um yeah, it can, again, provide a little bit of insecurity for me that like, maybe I'm not training like big running miles all the time, but I'm still training in a way that like builds a big engine. And there's many ways to do this. And I think I'm finding, um, and it's still a work in progress, finding something that works for me. Um, I'm lucky enough to work with a great coach, Adam St. Pierre, and I've known him for years. Um, So we're willing to kind of do this Um, together. Um, But it's also inspired me as a coach kind of figuring out how to best train an athlete if they're time crunched, or maybe like injury prone. um, Or, you know, they have all the time in the world, I need to kind of like, you know, temper them down a little bit. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's like a fun experiment, I think, in the end.
1: Yeah, it's a puzzle which is just like racing, and I, I'm I'm totally pro your approach. I'm I'm an injury-prone runner, and I I'm a freak who loves the watt bike and just sitting there on the stationary bike <laughs> and pumping out the I hours. I like it too. I like
2: it too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sit there and look out the window, and you can almost pretend that you're outside. It's great. <laughs> but yeah, it's um it's great for mindset. And just talking about like mindset, I mean another hard thing that you did as well as like kind of changing your training with then and then discovering the joy of biking, which is amazing. You went back to Tromso and, um, and I just wanted to kind of quickly reflect on what was that like for you actually going back and facing that place and that moment?
2: You know, I was lucky enough that I, I think one, one of the main things is that I was writing my book at the time and it was a cool way to like, kind of write it, uh, write about it. And it felt very cathartic. It was, um, it was some, it was a challenge that I wanted to face. It was something I wanted to go back there and, and face it and, um, do the race again and also just like see it. I also, the main thing is I wanted to have a more positive experience with this place that seems so scary, right? I didn't want to live in fear. I didn't want to avoid it. I wanted to make my own, make new memories. Um and one of the most special, two special things out there is that I got to, my mom came back with me and um I got to run the race with this man, Manu, who's like the first on the scene and who um was kind of there to rescue me. Mm-hmm. Um and that was just incredibly special. Um, and it's like... And I have these wonderful memories now of, you know, traveling around Trumso, doing some adventures before and after the race. Um, and it's no longer, you know, with friends who live there. Um, Ingvild is a, is another good friend. She's a runner for Adidas, um, Terex, and um, her mother was a volunteer on the course that day of the fall. And she was also a volunteer on the course when I did the race again two years later. Um, so yeah, it was really cool to share it with the community. And I think it also... Um, this wasn't a, this wasn't a reason to do it. But I think in the aftermath, I realized that not only was it important for me to do it, but I also think it was important for like the trail running community to be a part of it as well.
1: That's amazing. And I think it it just so perfectly blends like that kind of idea of rewriting your narrative as well. I'm really interested in that kind of that relationship between writing and and movement and also Mm -hmm. the, the community that are kind of Lifted you up and provided that space for you to to walk through and and heal, and that's I mean that's just such a kind of lovely cyclical nature to it, and I I, yeah yeah, I can see why that would feel so so much of a kind of like positive affirmation Mm -hmm. for you doing that again. And speaking of the more positive things and jumping forward again, like. You were dropping some pretty tasty miles at the end of Cape Town. And I was just wondering, like, what did that last stretch feel like? And when did you know that you got it in the bag?
2: <laughs> well, I think that I, I knew that I had it in the bag. Like, like, I mean, as not meant to sound cocky, but I did, I did know that I was going to win the race, like, you know, probably with like, am like securely at like mile 75? Like I knew I was just moving well. I knew I felt good. Like there were still times to like, you know, that I could give up, but I, I, I just, I felt that it was going to happen. Um, but I didn't let myself feel it. I don't let myself really feel it, um, until the very end. And like, really when I'm like kind of in the finishing shoot or like within earshot of the crowd or the announcer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, but again, with that practicing mentality, I wanted to practice pushing. I didn't have to, um, but I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to feel what it felt to, um, run, like, try to push myself and run fast and run hard. Um, like the next, you know, the, the last bit of, um, of a race that long. Right. Cause it's something that's like, you know, people are like, Oh, running a hundred miles, you don't run a hundred miles, but like I ran a step at, at like at least a step, if, you know, like a part of every single mile and every single K that was on that course. And, um, it was just a really cool way to, to, to experience my, my, my limits. And I really wanted to, to push myself and see, I was running pretty, like for me, at least like pretty fast, um, downhill, um, and some pretty technical terrain towards to, to the very end of the race. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't have to, like I I wasn't, there wasn't someone right behind me, but I wanted to, it was like that active choice that I was making to practice pushing myself in these late hours of a race. Um,
1: yeah (laughs) it does just sound like that kind of that self-celebration as well like the, Mm -hmm. the kind of mindset that you had in um UTMB of I'm not I'm not doing this for anyone other than me like it's it's the same thing albeit in a you know this was in a really positive celebratory moment for you um and such a great also kind of highlight of the that you can trust your body and it's doing this incredible thing (laughs) um and just a few like just a few quick questions to to wrap up um first of all like it feels like your capacity for adventure just keeps increasing (laughs) so (laughs) what's next for you at the moment
2: Oh man, I do have a lot of bucket list races. Um, Mm -hmm. again, they're all centered around like places that I want to go, (laughs) um, or courses that really inspire me. Um, I'm still kind of planning out my, my race season for next year. Um, but a race that I'd really like to do is ultra trail Mount Fuji. Um, and, um, one that's on the bucket list is the grand red. It looks incredibly hard and incredibly beautiful. Um, yeah, like trans Grand Canaria, that's a race, Terra um, Hard Rock 100. Uh, yeah, just a bunch of different things. Um, and then also coupling that with gravel biking. I'm going to Spain in February um, just for like a gravel bike adventure from the airport to Girona, then maybe into France. Um, and, you know, then, you know, obviously packing my running shoes. Um, but, yeah, just like things like that. I um, have, you know, different... Um, obviously race goals. Um, but my favorite way to train for them is like with different adventures. And there's just so many, um, around my local mountains here in Colorado, just in the States, I have a big camper van so I can kind of travel around, Mm -hmm. um, and just be ba- like work remotely and um, be a dirtbag for however long I want. <laughs> Get in the dirt, Like you're a kid
1: again. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> and you're an incredible coach as well. As you mentioned, it was just so lovely hearing the the kind of joy that came into your voice as well when you were when you were talking about your coaching. And I just wondered, like. If you had a kind of message for younger athletes um specifically maybe younger female athletes, that that's what you are um what would you say?
2: That's a great question, and it's like a huge passion of mine. I think the 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 one piece of advice I would say to especially a younger female athlete is stay patient is don't rush the process um and I think do something out of. Do do something out of love for it, right? Like, because it makes you a better person, not because someone's forcing you to do it. But in, you know, and I think that that goes back to that first piece of advice of staying patient. Um, And I I think about that with like, you know, I I coach women who are, you know, are like people who are getting into trail and they're like, I want to do a hundred miler. I'm like, well let's start, like, let's, let's, uh, let's practice something else first. Like, let's, you know, you're not in a hurry to get there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you can bring in the bug stuff, like a snail wouldn't do that, would it? Like, (laughs) and it still gets there. Um, And that leads me on to the second to last question, which is, do you have a favorite nerdy science fact? A nerdy science what? A A nerdy science fact oh fact yeah. oh man fun
2: science facts. Uh, <laughs> I guess I have a lot of nerdy science facts but I'm trying to think of one in particular with like with um with chemistry oh man I don't know Ah. Uh, oh okay this is tip this I mean for people who are viewing this I don't know if you record the video but like I my nail polish is coming off but I painted my nails um One, like different, every, uh, every nail is a different color. So my thumbs are both red. My pointer fingers are both orange. And then it goes like Roy G. Biv, like through the, through the, um, rainbow. Um, the reason I do this is because of chemistry, um, chirality. It's basically like how to explain, um, how molecules can be left-handed and right-handed. So basically they're the same, like it's still a thumb or a pointer finger or a hand, but how they occupy three-dimensional space is different and it matters. So it's like when you go to shake my hand, I give you my right hand, you give me your right hand. But if I gave you my left, it was is a little awkward. It doesn't work. And that's how, chemi- how chemicals work in your body, so...
1: That's yeah. so cool! Paint your nails and learn <laughs> chemistry, guys. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. Thank you. And final question, uh, most important one, and it's something that we have actually mentioned many times in this conversation, which is always great. What does joy mean to you, Hillary? Uh joy to me. Oh man, I think I
2: mean in simple terms, it's It's running. It's freedom. Joy to me is enjoying the simplest things in life and getting the most satisfaction out of them. It's as simple as a sunrise run that I've done many, many times, but still feeling that um, peace and happiness and awe in Mother Nature. Um, Joy for me is just getting pleasure out of out of the simple things Um, and in reference to to trail running, it's um, joy to me is trying to be the best version of myself every day, even if it's harder on certain days than others. It's a process. And I I love that process.
1: Oh, Hilary, I love that you've ended with that. Because again, it's just, it just reflects this conversation with all of the wisdom that you have brought to it. And I've just felt so Uplifted and and honoured to to speak to you and and share in your story. So I I don't really have anything to say other than thank you. I just have so much gratitude towards the manner in which you are sharing with the community and and bringing light to so many people. And and thank you for for sharing that with me today as well.
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Seriously, it's a it's amazing to have these conversations, and thanks per, for providing the space for it too.
1: And we'll look forward to some more dot watching of the Hilly Goat next year. (laughs) Thank you, Hilary.
0: I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.